It's, uh, it's great to be with you. I was last here preaching here, I think about seven years ago. We lived in uh, Mount Pleasant from 2011 and 12. So uh, although my accent clearly, I'm not from here, I have the, there's a context of living here, of uh, being part of this community. We were actually on staff at Mount Pleasant uh, at St. Andrews at the time. Uh, your series, as we believe, before we kick into that, I'm just going to give you a bit of an introduction on context of where I'm coming from, aware for the last 20 years I've been, and it definitely links in with our passages today. So hopefully that, if you didn't know where Burundi was, that's where it is. You know, in America, sometimes say, I'm from Burundi, say, what is Burundi? Is it a piece of cheese? People haven't got a clue about it. It's about the least known country in the world, but it is a country there. It's the size of Maryland, not a big place, 11, 12 million people, too many people in a small plot of land, which makes us the hungriest country in the world with the highest rate of malnutrition, a lot of suffering, a lot of uh, repeat genocides. Um, that is closer up. So that's Bujumbura. That's the language out there. That's a greeting in Jesus' name. Next one. And that's what, uh, sadly, the area has been known for. So I went out there as a single young man, expected to die, didn't die, actually got married, have a wife, three kids. 2015, that kicked off. And uh, that was now with children, which is a bit more, a bit different, isn't it? Uh, and yet, actually, the best thing we can model to our kids is authentic faith, not living by fear. And sadly, I think many followers of Christ still live shackled by fear. And part of this passage and the encouragement we get this morning is that we do not need to live by fear. Next one. Uh, so actually, I've run out of those, but uh, I've got some books up. Next one outside afterwards if you... Oh, no, maybe not. Um, so, but I've got some books afterwards in terms of if you wanted to engage with... Uh, I think a lot of you will resonate this morning with the, with the beauty of the Scriptures and with the sense of urgency and commissioning God has given each one of us to live out his message. That's my family. So and look, at, I never get tired of telling the story of my, of my daughter. Look at my daughter in the middle. She is named after the next girl. So the next picture shows me holding this girl back in 1997. I held that girl. I heard her story and her story was that she started her life down a toilet, so her mother gave birth to her, threw her down a toilet, and uh, at the university hospital, the next person going to the toilet saw this piece of flesh down there. She was not dead because her neck got caught in the U-bend. She reached down, picked her out, cleaned her off, got on herself in the process as she cleaned her, fed her through a straw like a little bird. She weighed just a couple of pounds. Next one, that's her, 18 years later. Beautiful young lady, and uh, next one, uh, I love it, as God wove the tapestry of our lives together, she ends up being our babysitter. And, uh, but when I married my wife and said, if we are ever blessed with a daughter, I want to name her after that girl. So that little white one's named after that big black one. Uh, their names, their shared names, the friend who rescued her gave her my favorite girl's name. Their names are Grace. And I love that name because that's my story. I hope it's your story. It doesn't matter whether multi-murdering rapists pillaging idiots in Central Africa or self-absorbed people on Sullivan's Island. We all need God's grace, don't we? We all need God's grace. And religion, this is so important for all of us to get this, religion is thinking that you can get out of that pit by yourself. Religion is thinking we can earn our way up to God uh, through our good works, through our respectability, through our giving of money or whatever. And that's not how it works. Jesus, this is, this is great news. Jesus, God with flesh on the incarnation, he comes down. Because you cannot bridge that chasm. Only he can bridge that chasm. And he picks us up. And he wants to pick you up this morning, clean you off, and take your on him so that you can be free and, and, and released and clean. Who doesn't want to be clean and be free from guilt and all the stuff that sucks us down? That's grace. And that's available to everyone. On, Grace's ongoing story, next one, is that we managed to get her a scholarship to the States, the promised land. She just graduated last year with distinction, uh, university over here. And uh, she ended up, well, two weeks ago, she started working for me in Burundi, telling other people's stories of grace. Isn't that beautiful? From the pit of a toilet. From, 
from the pit of a toilet to living the dream. And that grace is available to all of us. And may you experience that this morning. Next one. Uh, You can't relate to 56% malnourishment, the hungriest country in the world, but this story sort of puts it in a picture. That girl, that cute little blonde-haired girl, she's my Canadian friend's four-year-old daughter, Alma, she's four. The girl in the middle whose hand she's holding is four and probably dead. And that's sick and wrong, isn't it? And that's so far removed from our very blessed existence here in Sullivan's Island. That's not for us to feel guilty about it, but to those who've been given much much will be required. That's what Jesus says. I don't, I don't feel guilty about my privilege, but with, with, with privilege comes responsibility. He said, come on, the stakes are high. What are we going to do with it? Next one. Uh, so that's the beautiful brother I've handed on the ministry to who's absolutely flying. Next one. And uh, just in terms of stories, because we're, we're looking, I believe this morning, we're saying we believe in the resurrection of the dead and the life in the world to come. Do we believe in the resurrection of the dead and the life in the world? Do we read those stories in the Acts of the Apostles and think, eh, yeah, that didn't really happen? Or maybe that happened years ago, but that, that couldn't happen now. But actually, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So in, in this incident, maybe next one as well. Next picture. Oh, no. Okay, that's the last one. So, so that last picture, that's, uh, what happened was that um, you know, we, and we're doing this in two weeks. We're sending out another 800 evangelists into the bush. Actually, it's in a month's time, beginning of August. And uh, they will go out and do the Acts of the Apostles. They will, they will cast out demons and heal the sick and get beaten up. And in this one instant, this witch doctor received our guys. And you don't mess with a witch doctor, because if you do, bzz, he'll curse you, and maybe your two-year-old will die or whatever. People live in fear of the witch doctor. He controls community, society. So our guys show up in the name of Jesus. He doesn't realize that, so he starts doing his juju stuff. And then, and then one of them spoke the name of Jesus, Muzina Yayesu. And this guy, he just fell down on the power of God. And he came to a few minutes later. He said, could you come back in a couple of days? And they returned a few days later. And there, at the, at the preaching of the gospel, and this spiritual leader burning his charm, submitting to the highest power, and bowing his knees to the risen Christ, 50 people in that village gave their lives to Christ. That's our Jesus. We believe in the resurrection of the dead. Last story before we look in the scriptures. You know, does that, could that happen? Our evangelist two years ago, three years ago, in the summer, they were pr- preaching and praying in hospitals. And uh, this, this, this boy was pronounced dead. So he's pronounced dead and, you know, sheet covered, covering him. Uh, doctor walks out, leaves the mother wailing and weeping. And one of our guys heard the wee- wailing, weeping. And he came rushing in and he felt led in that incident to speak life back into that body. And he declared life over that body. The boy psh, sat back up and 40 people in that hospital, you know, heard the news and came running and they gave their life to Jesus as well. Again, I think you would. But, you know, do you even believe me, like, you know, some wacko with a funny accent coming from far away? No, or is it true? Could it be true? I believe that. Why? Because I believe in Jesus who's risen from the dead. So why could it not happen again? And he is the same yesterday and today and forever. So that's by main, means of introduction as we now look at the scriptures. We're going to concentrate on Revelation chapter 21. And my buddy Kurtz, is just, you know Kurtz, Kurtz is just going to hand out some forms at the front of each row. Wherever I go, I say, I'm not after your money. You've got your own mission partners. I'm not after you coming out to Burnley. Well, it'd be great if some of you came out to Burnley. But what I would love is if you prayed. And I think we're still alive because of people's prayers. So you don't have to sign up your email, but if you do, you'll get about six emails from me a year. So if you're too busy on email, too many, don't, don't sign up, but if you do, great. You know, my guys have asked me to get people praying, and that's why I think we're still alive. I drove along a road once, 40 people were killed, and I wasn't. I don't think I'm any better, but I know I'm more prayed, prayed for. So prayer changes things. So pass it on if you don't want to, but if you do, brilliant. Okay, so three fantastic passages. Can't preach on all of them. Time's running out. I'm speaking way too fast already, but we're going to look at Revelation chapter 21, that passage there, okay? 
We be- the title is, We Believe in the Resurrection of the Dead and the Life of the World to Come. Now, during a, a trip to Portland, Oregon, uh, noted, you'll have heard of him, probably atheist, he's actually just died now, uh, called Christopher Hitchens. He laid down some great theology. This is an evangelistic militant, very anti-Christian uh, atheist who has given his life to destroying not just Christianity, but all faith systems. He's, he's the well-known author of God is Not Great, Why Religion Poisons Everything. And after that book publication, it was a bestseller, he toured the country promoting it and engaging in debates with a whole bunch of uh, religious leaders, including some very well-known evangelical leaders. Now, when he arrived in Portland, he discussed, he had a, a, an interview with a lady. She was a Unitarian minister called Mar- Marilyn Sewell. And uh, the entire transcript is on the internet, so you, on the web, so you could check it out. It was posted online. And near the start of the interview, Marilyn Wilson, listen up, sorry, Marilyn Sewell, she said this, the religion you cite in your book, Mr. Hitchens, is generally the fundamentalist faith of various kinds. I'm a liberal Christian, and I don't take the stories from the scripture literally. I don't believe in the doctrine of atonement, that Jesus died for our sins, for example. Do you make any distinction in your book between fundamentalist faith and liberal religion? Hitchens replied, it's genius. I would say that if you don't believe that Jesus of Nazareth was the Christ and Messiah, and that he rose again from the dead, and by his sacrifice our sins are forgiven, you're, not, you're really not in any meaningful sense a Christian. And Sewell, she's like, oh. and she didn't want to carry on that line of thought, so she let, let, let's, let's let's move on. Now, that little snippet demonstrates an important point about religious God talk. You can call yourself anything you like, but if you don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died on the cross for our sins and then rose from the dead, you are not, in any meaningful sense, a Christian. So talk about nailing it. You know, in in one of the tragic ironies of our time, you've got an outspoken militant atheist who grasped the central tenet of Christianity better than a a Christian spiritual leader. Now, what you believe about Jesus really does make a difference. And don't you think there's a correlation? Let me not even bother about talking about your American context. You know it better than mine, but I know yours kind of a bit. But in England, churches are emptying. They're being transformed into mosques, into building walls, into hotels. All over the place, they're shutting down. Apart from... Churches that still believe in the resurrection from the dead. And those churches, if you want a, a, sort of an umbre- a, a title for it, the evangelical churches, they are growing. There is life. Why? Because that is the heart of the gospel. It's the heart of Christianity. The Apostle Paul said, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of the resurrection, the dynamis, the dynamite, the explosive power of the gospel. And this is the absolute heart of it. And so it's clear that if you're going to stop believing in a bodily resurrection of Christ, well, the power's gone. It's just, it's just let's be nice and kind to each other. It's, it's lost the heart of what it's all about. So I've got three things briefly from this passage that, that, that must hopefully impact all of us. And uh, this belief, this key core tenet of believing the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come, it brings confidence it brings comfort, and it brings challenge. So first of all, it brings confidence. Look down at verse 3. 
And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. That's brilliant. That's beautiful. Down to verse 6. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To, to the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Verse 7, the one who conquers will have this inheritance. And I will be his God and he will be my son or my daughter. It just, it just exudes confidence. It's great. We believe in the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. And what is that confidence in? Well, verse 1, then, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And this is, this is our long-term future, brothers and sisters. Solomon's Island, it's a beautiful place. Or if you're from the Isle of Palms or, or from Mount Pleasant, wherever you come from this morning, what a beautiful place. Everyone's moving here. We love living here. It's beautiful. But it's going to be even better. And, and, and so much better because it is a beautiful place. But I know that many of you, your marriage is a sham. I know that it's a very hard place to keep a family together. I know that loads of us, our kids, be they adult kids or teenage kids, they're, they're, they're being sucked into very bad choices, addictions, all those sort of, sorts of things. I know that there's a lot of fear and that we want to impress people and, and, and seeking people approval. And, and so it, it is a beautiful place, but that's the veneer, isn't it? That's the surface. We all know that. Scratch beneath the surface. There's a lot of pain and there's a lot of heartache and it will be made new. So whatever issue, as a visitor, I don't know what you're going through this morning, but you can be confident that on the, a new recreated earth, it's going to be even better. You've got a bad back, I've got a bad back, I'm going to get a new back. And a new body, bring it on. Some of us, we really need new bodies, don't we? <laughs> now listen to this. This is, in terms of that future, because it's so hard for our peewee brains to really comprehend it, but listen to what Dallas Willard says. I love his words, the way he expresses it. He says, we should not think of ourselves as destined to be celestial bureaucrats involved eternally in celestial administrivia, that would be only slightly better than being caught in an everlasting church service. No, we should think of our destiny as being absorbed in a tremendously creative team effort with unimaginably splendid leadership on an inconceivably vast plane of activity with ever more comprehensive cycles of productivity and employment. Now, that's great, isn't it? And uh, a friend of mine, this is a number of years ago, she's working in a refugee camp in Burundi. She looks across, and she sees an old man. And he's got an empty bowl. He's praying in his racks with an empty bowl. And she went over and sat next to him, Umutama, old man, what's your story? And this old man, he'd walked six days to get there. He was in his 80s. He'd watched his wife and kids hacked to death. And his house burnt down. And he had lost everything. Everything. Apart from what he was, with that empty bowl and his stinking rags. And at the end, this horrific story, he turned to her and he said, Madame Missionnaire, I never realized that Jesus was all I needed until Jesus was all I had. That's challenging, isn't it? 
And I get on a plane, phew, arrive in Charleston, and there are so many people in our community who've got everything to live with and nothing to live for. And if that's you this morning, you can come to Jesus, and the grace is there. And you can suddenly appropriate these words for yourself and have confidence. I mean, what a rich man, right? He's dead now. But he's free from all this mess, and he'll be with Jesus forever. As I was driving along one of those most dangerous roads in the world, you know, uh, as I told you, people died around me, but my, 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 my colleague, on one occasion, he leant across, he said, Simon, isn't it exciting? We are immortal until God calls us home. Isn't that right? Free from fear. What confidence. Because this is not the end. When Dietrich Bonhoeffer you know, was led away by his executioners, he said, says, he said, for you this is the end, for me it's the beginning. And we can stand and have that confidence. John, the other passage, John 14, verse 3, I will come back, Jesus said, I will come back and I'll take you to be with me and you also will be where I am. Acts 1, 11, when uh, the guys are looking up, the ascend, Christ is being ascended and the uh, angels appear and said, hey, no, why are you standing here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven, he will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. We can have that confidence. Do you have that confidence? I hope you do. It's our birthright not because of what we've done but because he's done and you know what i've worked with orphans you know if if if, 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 you, if, if literal orphan or an orphan spirit you're you're insecure you, you know you, there's no firm foundation it's a horrible place to be but we are adopted into his family this is my son this, you are my daughter i love you i'm well pleased with you and this is your birthright to stand in confidence cleaned and accepted and loved and live in that place of authority and peace. That's what you can have this morning. Receive it. Confidence. Next one. And it's linked and it's also great. It's comfort. Comfort. I love verse 4. I've clung to verse 4. Can you imagine it? Through some of the horrific stuff I've engaged in in Burundi. Verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order has passed away. I can't wait. I love my life. I've got a great life, but it's going to be so much better, and there'll be no more of this bad stuff that goes on, that goes on in every single person's life here in church here this morning. That's incredibly comforting. It's comforting for my my friend Romaine, and she's a widow, and her her husband was taken to the side of the road and had his head blown off. For being, being too tall. Can you believe that? Two ethnic groups out there. He's from the, the tall tribe, if you like. And he was, he was killed. And she came back and she wept. She had four children under the age of five. No job, nothing. Her provider, her earthly provider gone. And just wept. And Lord, what's going to happen? Well, you cannot go wrong, brothers and sisters, if you want to work with widows and orphans. That's, that's pure religion as defined by James 1. You cannot go wrong. And so we had to take care of her. And so we gave her a job and got her a house. And, and, and she has, she's been triumphantly living by faith, sometimes with envelopes arriving on the doorstep, you know, because God cares. And he cares for all of us. That's a comfort to her that her husband, you know, this verse, he's now free. There's no more nepotism, ethnic hatred, corruption, all those things that are part and parcel of, 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 of life out there. What's your deal? There's gonna be, it's comfort that there's going to be no more self-harming. No more addictions to porn or alcohol or drugs or whatever. No more 
low self-esteem, no more depression, no more despair, no more loneliness. You could shout out a whole bunch more issues that we've got. We've got them, haven't we? There's going to be no more of that. That is comforting. No more grieving. You miss a loved one who's died. That wound will go. That is so comforting. John 14, 3, I will come back and take you to be with me so that where I am, you will also be. We're not left alone. We're not abandoned. Some of us feel abandoned. Some of us act abandoned. That we have to do it all on our own. It's, it's, it's comfort for, for your dodgy back or your, you know, name the issue that you've got this morning. It's comforting. That chronic pain that we've, it's so hard to stay hopeful, isn't it? It's comforting. It's comforting for mistakes that we've made that we think that we struggle to forgive ourselves, you can be forgiven. It's comforting when you are in this seeming dead end of a marriage that you'd want to opt out and the grass is always greener. It's not. So hang on in there. There is always hope. It's comfort through the trials. Trials, Oswald Chambers said, trials are God's vote of confidence in us. Hang on in there. Don't let go. It's comforting when, if, you, if you're fearful. A lot of us, I mean, America, I, my experience of America is that fear controls so much of your behavior. Is that okay to say? You know, politici- politicians, we just, whatever, we're just fear. We can manipulate people and control them. And we march the beat of a different drum. This scripture tells us it. Let's live it. That's comforting. Justice will be done if you've been the victim of injustice. That's comforting, isn't it? It might not be on this earth, but there will be a reckoning. That's very comforting. And it's comforting for some of us here on Sullivan's Island or Mount Pleasant, wherever, that we, we've, we sort of live the dream. Or other, other people might look at us and think, wow, the American dream, they've lived it, they're clearly wealthy because they live it in this neck of the woods, and still my life is screwed up. And still I'm longing for more. And surely there's, is this it? Any of you have got that feeling? Is this, is this it? Is this what life is all it's got? I love this C.S. Lewis quote. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. 1 Peter 1, 3. Peter writes, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead. We believe in the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. And that, that resurrection, what's it, it, and into, verse 4, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. It's kept in heaven for you. What a great promise. It's kept in heaven for you. So we can have confidence and we can be comforted. But I don't just want to shortchange you with easy stuff. Or, or, you know, the soft stuff. The last one, challenge. The resurrection brings challenge. So the challenge from Romaine's story is that her husband was taken to the side of the road and killed. And, uh, but six other men were killed with him. Now, were they ready? Were they ready to die? Donatien was ready to die. He's experiencing Revelation 21.4. There's no more tears. You know, he's, he, he, he's free from all that. What about the six other men? Because the stakes are extremely high. Jesus said uh, in the gospel passage, John 14, verse 6, we know this verse. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is God's salvation plan for the world. That's why I went to Burundi. 
That is what will take you. That conviction is what will take you 10 yards across the office floor to share that message with your colleague. Or in uh, Piggly Wiggly, or wherever we're shopping, you know, or across to our, to our neighbors, or a college, or whatever. That conviction, the stakes are high. If they reject Christ, they choose to reject him into eternity. We need to be a people who live ready. Once I was preaching on the Congolese border, parable of the ten virgins. Remember that one? Those ten girls, they all had a role to play, all invited. But five girls, they were not ready. And so they trimmed their lamps when the belated wedding party arrived, and the five that weren't ready had to run off and get some more oil. Meantime, those that were ready were invited in. Door shut. Celebration, because that's the kingdom. And then the five late girls came and said, hey, can we come in? And they heard this horrific pronouncement, Dabagirukuri Simbazi. I tell you the truth, I don't know you. I don't want any of us to hear that, 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 that pronouncement. And, um, you know, some of Jesus' parables are very nuanced and multi-layered and complex. This is not. This is one of those non-rocket science straightforward ones. I had three points. Jesus is coming. Nobody knows when. Are you ready? Jesus is coming. Nobody knows when. Are you ready? Well, a whole bunch of people chose to get ready. They rushed to the front, as is the cultural norm out there. We prayed together. A whole bunch of others maybe stayed back. No, Jesus is going to cramp my style. Now, I'll, I'll come to Jesus when I'm sick or when I've really messed up, or, or I want to sow my wild oats a while longer. You know, I don't know what people are thinking, but that's, that's, that goes on all the time, right? People count the cost. Do I want to submit myself to Christ's lordship? Anyway, whatever the case, two days later, I'm on my motorbike driving towards that village, and I come to a roadblock, and, uh, and I'm stopped, and the military guy says, you cannot proceed any further, because that, that, there's been a rebel incursion from Congo, and those guys have been killed. And it, it struck me as never before the urgency of our message, because who on the Sunday could have believed that Jesus was coming on the Tuesday? Now, do you believe that? Because if you believe that, it's very hard, isn't it, in, in, on Solomon's Island, because it's so beautiful. And there's not a war going on, but I see bombs falling all over your community. Apathy. Materialism. Relativism. Distraction. Do I need to go on? And so we get taken out. And there's, there's very little urgency from my observation. And yet the stakes are high. We need to be challenged out of our apathy and comfort zones this morning, don't we? We need to live ready. Smith Wigglesworth said this, live ready. If you have to get ready when the opportunity comes your way, you'll be too late. Opportunity doesn't wait, not even while you pray. You must not have to get ready. You must live ready at all times. Be filled with the Spirit, he says. Be filled, be, that is, be soaked with the Spirit. Be so soaked that every thread in the fabric of your life will have received the requisite rule of the Spirit. And then... When you are misused and squeezed to the wall, all that will ooze out of you will be the very nature of Christ. (sighs) Great words. Verse 7. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Verse 8. Look at it. But... The cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars... Their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. And this is the second death. And yes, that's pictorial language, right? Sulfur and lake of death. But that's, it's grim. It's grim. Unimaginably so. Like we can't imagine the beauties of a recreated earth and and heaven. And so let me just close with two two stories. First of all, my granny. So Granny Gilbo. She, um, age 83, 
when Grandpa died, and they were very impressive, you know, Harvard, Yale, Art University, Cambridge educated top awards of the brightest of their generation, literally recognized by the secular authorities there. And the professors, when they chose to go out to tell people about Jesus in Africa, they said, oh, what a waste of their brain. Um, but uh, they went out there, spent 50 years in Africa, came back, retired, you know, as decrepit old people. And, and Grandpa, when he died, um, Granny was like, well, you know, I'm 83, but in England, you just don't value old people. You're just going to stick me in old age home. Whereas in Burundi, where in Rwanda, I'm an umukechuru. I'm a wise old dame. So, so she's like, I'm going to go out there. I'm a widow. There's loads of widows from the genocide. She started a widow's meeting. First week, 30 came. Then 80, 100, 200, 300, 400. Then they had to split them into two groups because there wasn't enough room in the cathedral. And then they started taking the widow's daughters and teaching them a trade because without a father there, they were routinely taken for sex. And so she's part of this incredible empowering movement. Now, fast forward three years. This is her last day in action on planet Earth. Granny Gilbo, rock on. And she's, you know, she's so old. She's, uh, but but she, she's still sharp up here. She, you know, she's, she's top, top notch here. Uh, and so she, she, they prepared this with a packed cathedral. She lets rip for an hour, preaches for an hour. And the uh, last photo of her taken alive, doing the traditional enhore dance like that. And then she said goodbye. And some of you, a few of you speak French. What, what's the word for goodbye? There's two words. Au revoir, au A bientôt. Adieu. Au revoir, adieu. And au revoir means to the re-seeing. Adieu means till God. And it's almost like the Holy Spirit must have whispered in her ears, you're coming home, baby, because, because she said adieu, and, and she, she waddled home, and, and she, she had a game of Scrabble, and then she went to be with Jesus. What a great way to go. What a great way to go. And you know what? This will sound a bit flippant, maybe, and forgive me for it, but the one benefit you might get as a... As a as a grandchild of a sad situation of losing your grandma, is that she might leave you some money, an inheritance. Well, all she left us were the most tasteless hand-knitted sweatshirts. It's like... But you know what? Why was that? It's because she'd given it all to the kingdom of God. She was the embodiment of these verses. She knew what counted. And, you know, it was, it was beautiful. I was preaching a few years ago in Chicago, a random suburb, Winnetka, uh, and I was preaching this church, and it was pretty much an all-white church. Uh, there was one black guy, and he came up to me afterwards, and he said, Gilabo, that's my last name, Gilabo, your grandparents changed my life. I was like, oh, God, thank you. You know, I didn't need that. I didn't need to, that to believe that my, parents had given, that my grandparents had given their life for something worthwhile. But what a beautiful encouragement, thousands of miles across the oceans, across the continents. The, the Lord was saying, just keep on going, buddy. This is worth everything. And my fear... And this is a legitimate fear, my concern, but beyond that, my fear for some of us here is that we are going to get to the end of our lives in the beauty of Solomon's Island and be sat there on, on a recliner with loads of stuff, with a shriveled soul, and think, I just missed it. I missed it. I played safe. And the challenge this morning is for us to realign our priorities with, with the word of God. The stakes are high. The stakes are high. He's saying, come on, bring it on. I love it. Dorothy Day, she was the founder of the Catholic Workers' Movement. It was said of her, she loved the truth enough to live it. Might they say that about you? Will they say that about me? I hope so. Will we love the truth enough to live it? I think all of us this morning, we need those three. 
If you are in such a bad place, you're just holding in by the skin of the teeth, just take the comfort. Take the confidence. I mean, that's good too. But I think most of us, we need all three. May we leave this morning. We're going to celebrate communion. What a great thing to do. And, and stand on the confidence of what Jesus has done. He's picked me out of the toilet. He's cleaned me off. He says, you're precious. You're beautiful. You're made in my image. I love you. Now, come on. You, you know that that's true. And that is so comforting as you go through tough times. And telling you stories of the grimness of Burundi doesn't belittle our own issues. They're very real issues. You will get through. To him who overcomes, you will get through. Just hang on in there. And then receive that challenge. We all need that challenge, I think. He's saying, come on, will you love the truth enough to live it? And I'll do it in Burundi, wherever the Lord sends me around the world. Would you do it here? Will you do it here? Are we going to play it safe? Are we going to settle for a domesticated Jesus? Uh, it's a challenge in your culture and context because, you know, we're all products of our context, aren't we? Let's critique it. Let's hold on to the good. And then let's sharpen up and say, all right, what's that going to look like for me? It's got to look a bit different probably. Can I pray for you? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for every single person here, man, woman, child. I bless them in the name of Jesus. And I pray that not a single person here this morning will leave without having gained for the first time or been reaffirmed in that confidence. So if, it's, if you're a first-timer on this and never really got what Jesus did for you on the cross, talk to someone, talk to me, talk to Trevor, any other guys uh, in leadership here, girls, you know, let's, let's nail it together. Um, for many of us, Lord, it will just be a reaffirmation of the confidence that we stand on the rock of ages in, a very, in the shifting sands of culture that you are worthy of our whole lives. So we, we're confident, Lord, and we are comforted. And we are challenged. And we embrace all three because we want to love the truth enough to live it. And we do not want to get to the end of our lives in that picture of having a shriveled soul with loads of stuff and thinking, I missed it. So I pray that for great blessing on all of us here, some of us is the blessing of discomfort. And as we come to the altar, may we lay all our concerns, burdens, idols down before you. May your kingdom come and your will be done. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen.